So we're going through the book of Acts. Uh, the series that of sermons that we've started is called uh, Our Story. And so we just talked about Jesus' story and how that did not end with him. That continues through his churches. Um, and now this section of scripture, um, I, I would call it doing things his way. And so uh, we see how the early disciples and everything, when they were put, putting together these churches, uh, how they did things and they followed Christ's instruction uh, in doing this. And so it's interesting that one of the first things uh, that we find in the book of Acts is a prayer meeting. Uh, that should tell us something about church, right? That one of the very first things that we are to do as a church is to seek Christ on everything, right? And with that, I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer. Uh, dear Lord, uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, this day. Thank you for us being able to meet here uh, in Armona. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would just keep all of our hearts and our minds open to what you have to teach us, Lord, and help us to be a church that seeks you first in everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you would, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 12 through 14. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, uh, which is near Jerusalem, uh, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, uh, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Bartholomew uh, and Matthew, uh, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, uh, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so some explanation, we're going to actually be focusing on verse 14 today, but some explanation on this. Uh, the reason why they were having this prayer meeting is honestly right as soon as Jesus left them and told them to go, right? Jesus ascended. Uh, they were immediately faced with a problem. Uh, now, it's interesting. Sometimes when you, I've, I've been in situations like this, when you first start doing things on your own, right? Uh, you're immediately faced with problems, right? As soon as you get out of the house, like when you get married and uh, you move in with your wife, as soon as you don't have your parents running everything, uh, you're immediately starting to face with, you're starting to face some problems. Same thing, I used to be a plumber. And my very first job that I did on my own, thinking that I could do it all, and the boss wasn't going to be watching my every move, right? I, made, I, I immediately started to face some problems that uh, I had to call and ask questions for, right? That's exactly what is happening with these, this group of people here, this assembly, this church. Uh, Jesus has just ascended. Now they're faced with a problem, and they have to seek Christ on it. So it's just like me calling my boss when I was faced with a problem when I was on my own. I'm like, hey, uh, how do I do this again? Right? That's what they're doing here. And so uh, the problem that they are faced with is replacing Judas, right? Judas, the one that betrayed uh, Jesus. And the reason why they had to do that is to fulfill Old Testament scripture about the one that would betray Jesus and 
that they had to replace that person. And so they're seeking scripture on what to do, and they're also praying uh, and seeking Christ on what to do here. So uh, it's very important to understand that context when we get into this uh, verse. So what this really says to us is, you know, we as a church, whenever we have problems or anything, we need to be coming together uh, in a devoted way uh, and seeking Christ on these matters. Uh, this is very important to the function and growth of a church. And so, again, focusing on verse 14 today, uh, now we know that all of the people there, they were gathered, right? It wasn't just uh, Christ's direct disciples. You know, it wasn't just the apostles, uh, the 11 that were left. It was also uh, James, uh, like the brother of Jesus, and Jude, the brother of Jesus, and Mary. And then it says, and the women, which I'm, I would assume and some other scholars would assume would be their families, you know, their wives. And so this wasn't just those men. This was also other people uh, that were very close to Jesus. So this is that uh, first group there. And so we have to understand that, that they gathered. Now, we've talked about this before. It is important for a church to actually gather. Uh, we are an assembly, like I said last week. And so we have to assemble together, and that includes in prayer. Now, what we're talking about this morning is not necessarily individual prayer. We have to pray as a group. We have to be uh, united as a church in the things that we are praying to God for. And so the first uh, thing that I want to point out in verse 14, uh, it says that these all continued, right? So uh, this would make you think uh, when we look at just this word that this is just continuing in prayer, right? That they had already been praying and they're keeping on praying. Now, while that may be true, uh, the word here for continue actually is deeper than that. Uh, the word continue here, it means to persevere or to be devoted or in other words, to steadfastly continue. And so these are very important things for us. You know, this isn't just, okay, we prayed before and we're going to keep praying. This is this is when, any, when everything is going wrong or when times are hard that we are going to keep praying through those things. That steadfastness is the important part here. We have to be immovable in our prayers, right? We have to pray no matter what. So let's look at this uh, perseverance. We must persevere. This is... Throughout the Bible, uh, throughout the Bible, uh, Scripture says to us that we have to, as Christians, we are going to face hard times and we have to persevere through those hard times. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, uh, this speaks about really not getting tired. or in This is the aspect of persevering there. It says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so sometimes we can, we can grow weary, right? We can get tired of things, but we, the Bible is telling us to not lose heart, right? To not grow weary when we're worried about whether our church is growing or not, right? 
We have to keep seeking God. We have to keep preaching the gospel. We have to keep doing all of the things that the Bible tells us to do and trust that God will provide the increase in his, in his time, right? That we have to do our job and he trust that he will do his. The results of this perseverance. Uh, we can see this in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And so, again, we go through things that are sometimes trying times, right? I don't know if you looked around the world today, but these are trying times. But we have to have that perseverance there. We have to know, we have to just keep on doing what we're doing. Uh, my, one of my grandma's favorite quotes, because my grandma's from England, uh, she always quotes the queen. She says, keep calm and carry on, right? Keep calm and carry on. Uh, that is how we need to be as a church. We need to keep calm, trust that God is in control, and carry on, keep doing what we're doing. And that perseverance there, that produces character, and character produces hope, right? And so we have to trust uh, in God. The next thing that this uh, con word continue here kind of shows us is that we must be devoted. Now, that's different than just persevering. Persevering means, you know, we, we just, we take whatever comes to us, right? But this devotion that we are to have in prayer and everything, it means that we need to be all in. We, every, of the, from of the deepest fiber of our beings, needs to be all in with God. Uh, we need to be completely devoted to the word and devoted to prayer. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, Joshua chapter 1 is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. Uh, this is when Joshua is taking over uh, command over the children of Israel from Moses. Uh, this is God literally saying uh, this to Joshua. And so in Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. And so Joshua's like, Joshua must be thinking there, how am I to lead the children of Israel? God's telling them, this book of the law, talking about scripture there, shall not depart out of your mouth. In other words, it should be the only thing that is on your lips, right? Uh, that we need to be completely devoted to God's word. And then he tells them to meditate in it day and night. And so that is the devotion that the Bible speaks of, is that we have to basically be completely all in and be ready to pray day and night, uh, be in God's word all the time. And then we would, then we would prosper and have good success. We have to be devoted to God's word and devoted in prayer. 
Uh, this reminds me of Daniel, right? Uh, when Daniel uh, is faced with kind of an impossible situation. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? And he calls all of his magicians and uh, sorcerers and stuff to have them interpret the dream. And they, he tells them, well, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You just, you have to know what the dream is and interpret it, right? And none of them can do this. So he starts, he starts having all of them killed. Uh, then it gets to Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three, uh, uh, the three people, that, the three young men that were following Daniel. Uh, and they don't entirely know what to do. And Daniel said, okay, well, I'll interpret the dream, right? And so uh, Daniel goes before Nebuchadnezzar, and this is uh, what happens uh, after he makes that. So Daniel asks him for a night to figure out what the dream means. And so in Daniel chapter 2, uh, this isn't up there because I just added this. So uh, Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. It says, Daniel uh, went, it went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the, that's, the, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their, that, that's their Hebrew names, um, his companions, that they might seek mercies from God, uh, sorry, from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, let me tell you what's happening here. Daniel is gathering his companions together, and they're basically getting down on their knees and praying to God all night. Uh, and Daniel reveal, uh, is revealed to Daniel in that night vision of what Nebuchadnezzar's dream not only meant, but what it was, right? And so the devotion here that Daniel had to God. Uh, we even see later that Daniel, uh, when it's outlawed that anyone could pray to God, he continued uh, his regular routine of praying three times a day, basically. And so Daniel just continues in this. He's continuing in his devotion. And so no matter what's happening on the outside, no matter what anybody threatens us with, we are to be devoted to God. The next part of the verse here, um, it says that these all continued with one accord. One accord. Now, one accord is an interesting word there, uh, or a couple of words. But it comes from one Greek word, uh, and it actually means having one passion. And so what does having one accord mean? It means having one passion. Now, as a group, we are to have that one passion. That one passion is supposed to be Christ, right? And so what does it mean for us to have one accord here? That means that we all have that same passion and that's Jesus. And so no matter what any of our differences are, if we have that one passion, that should override everything else. So what does this look like in a church? 
What does it look like for a church to have one passion? Well, um, I remember an example of this, and I, I noticed this at the time. Uh, this, this wasn't here, and I'm not going to name the person at the other church that uh, this was about, but uh, we had a church business meeting, and some things needed to be decided, and um, this person was complete, totally, completely against what most of the people at church wanted, right? But it passed. And so the, the business passed at the church. Now, this person was the first person to show up and do, and he did most of the work in doing what the church wanted. And so he was completely against it. But when the church decided what to do, he was completely on board and made it happen. That is what having one accord looks like in a church because our desire to please Christ is above any of the differences that we have. That doesn't mean that we can't have any differences, but that means that when a church seeks Christ on something and decides to do something, then afterwards, after that decision is made, we all need to get on board. And I will always remember that person. He, he, that, that stuck out to me. Um, it was, he was a good man. I've actually seen some of that here too. So that's, uh, I'm not bashing us, but uh, this is a very important thing to have this one accord. Now, why is this so important for us? Why is it so important for us to be able to do this? To be able to have differences, but when something is decided, uh, to be able to move forward and get those things done. Well, it's important because a divided church cannot grow. A divided church cannot grow. Um, when visitors come, they will be able to see if we don't like each other, right? They will be able to see if we have completely separate goals. They will be able to see that if we're not all focused on Christ, right? If we are putting our own goals above that of serving Christ, people will see that. It will also affect how we do things. Uh, people, members of our church, won't, if we don't have this one accord, members of our church won't be energized to do anything because that it's not having that same passion, right? So I, I think we can see why this is so important to be all on the same page, whether or not we have minor disagreements. But how do we do this? How do we have this one passion? Well, it's very simple. It's, it's, in the, it, it's in the meaning of one accord, having the same passion. Focusing on Christ is what will allow us to have this one accord here. So if we can all, as a church, be focused on Christ, then we will all be able to get along together, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if we disagree on little things. If we are all going towards that same goal, then we should all be getting closer together, right? And no matter how far away we are and no matter how spread apart we are, if we are all focused on the same point and getting closer to that same point, we should all be getting closer together as well. Um, I just talked about this in premarital counseling, that um, in premarital counseling, you, know, we, you talk about when you get married, you're not just making an, an oath between you and your spouse, but you are doing the, you're making a vow before God 
as well. And so uh, I drew on a piece of paper that it's like a triangle, right? Uh, it has you here, right? And then your spouse there, and then God's on the other side of that triangle. Now, if we just try to get closer to each other, that's not going to work out. But if we are getting closer to God, then we automatically get closer together. And that is the same as a church as well. The closer we all get to God individually, the closer we will get together as a church because we're all going towards that same point. So the next part of this verse, the last really important part here, it says, with one accord in prayer and supplication. With prayer and supplication. Now, that's two words there in the English, but it's one word in the Greek. Uh, so we have to include those together. Prayer and supplication. Let's read verse 14 again. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so that is everyone present. Let's talk about what that prayer and supplication means. Uh, the English word supplication. Uh, this is actually really descriptive of what they were doing here. The English word supplication means uh, the action of, of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. And so when we pray to God as a group, we need to pray humbly. We need to beg God. Now, that, that means that we are not coming to God from a high place. That means that we need to realize that we are low. Uh, this, again, reminds me of, if you were here for Sunday school this morning, Junior uh, talked about the woman uh, that came to Jesus, and Jesus basically told her that she's a dog, and she's not fit to get the bread from the master's table. And she says to him, I'm probably butchering this here, but I'm paraphrasing. Uh, she says to Jesus that even the dog gets the master's crumbs. Now, the crumbs from Jesus' table are better than anything that we could ever provide for ourselves, okay? And so we need to go to Jesus, right, humbly, say, Jesus, can I just have your crumbs? Because the crumbs are better than anything we could ever hope for. And so we have to go to Jesus humbly. And again, this is as a group. We need to be as a church going to Jesus humbly. Also, we must pray effectively and often. We must pray effectively and often. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's a awesome thing. So that's not just that we are to pray, right? But we are to pray in an effective manner. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray effectively? Well, that means, you know, doing things of what Jesus talks about, not doing the vain repetitions, but being, uh, praying earnestly, praying in a way that is really what we need from God. Also, praying according to Scripture, and so we need to not be praying for anything that's outside of what God tells us, right? 
We, you know, praying for a new TV is really, it's not going to get you a new TV. If you happen to get a new TV, I doubt it's because of that prayer, right? But we need to be praying for God's will to be done. We need to be praying for the furtherance of his kingdom, right? That we need to be praying for our needs. The Bible tells us to pray for our needs, not necessarily all of our wants, but praying for our needs, right? These are effective prayers, it also says the fervent prayer, right? The effective, fervent prayer. I had to look up that word. Uh, but the uh, fervently means to pray intensely or passionately. This goes to what I said earlier about being steadfast or devoted, right? We need to be praying uh, intensely to God. We need to really be getting on our knees and crying for people to be saved, right? For our church to grow, for God to be working in our community, for God to be working in our country, right? If we really want things to change. If we really want God to work, we should be begging God to work. We should be all in with that. And we should be doing this often. This isn't just a one-time thing. We want to pray effectively, but we also have to do it all the time. All the time. You can't ever go, well, I already prayed enough today, right? If you ever say that, uh, you need to ask for forgiveness, right? Do you ever talk to your wife and say, I already talked to you enough today? No, I mean, sometimes I feel like saying that, but I better never say that to my wife, right? Uh, but we can't talk to God like that. We need, we need to be always ready to pray for the things that we need. We also should pray boldly. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, I thought you just say that I thought you just said that we should pray humbly. Now you're saying we should pray boldly. Aren't those opposites? No, they're not. They're opposites if you think we can pray boldly because of ourselves. But we can't pray boldly because of ourselves. We pray boldly because of what Jesus did for us. Because we are coming through Jesus to the Father. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly through to the throne of grace, that we, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Again, we can pray boldly because Christ uh, is the one who saved us, right? Christ is the one that we are praying through. We're not praying through some priest, right? We are praying directly through Christ. So we can pray boldly because of that, not because of anything that we've done, right? The Bible also says our righteousness is as a filthy rags, right? So if we're trying to pray based off of our own merit, it's nothing. If we're pray, praying based off of Christ's merit, then that means everything. Last point today. So I want to put this all together. We must be a church that prays together. We must be a church that prays together. That means that we have to actually gather, correct? We have to uh, come together and be one of one accord. We have to have that same passion. Now, even if we are praying separately, we have to be praying together. Now, what, I, what do I mean by that? We should all be praying the same things, right? We, if we are praying for our church, we should all be doing that. 
we should all be praying for our church in unison together. We should all have that one passion there, and that is to please Christ. We need to beg God. Now, some, sometimes we don't like to do that. That's our pride getting in the way. But we need to be willing to beg God for what we need. And we have to do this all again together. So coming together, praying earnestly, steadfastly, continuing, right? And praying often, begging, and then we will see Christ work. In conclusion today, as the pianist and song leader come, if you're, not, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, right? I, I spent this whole morning talking about prayer, right? There's one prayer that matters to you if you're not saved. And that is a prayer of salvation, right? Let me read for you Romans chapter 10, verses 19, or sorry, verse 9 through 13. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For if the heart, sorry, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, can I really say it better than that? Pray to him. Call upon him to save you. Do that this morning, and he will. And you can spend eternity with him. Make that decision and do that this morning.